This is the Seven Figures Podcast Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Seven Figures Podcast. We really appreciate it. And I found her. I found your financial role model. You hear it all the time, and I tend to agree, and I'm sure you do too, that you need to surround yourself with people who will motivate you to be better. Your social circles need to include people that you admire, that you aspire to be like. And today, our guest, Catherine Ferkins, successful business owner, she owns Tile Wholesalers with her husband, I think is a great example of a strong female financial role model. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's start with your money story. How did you get to where you are today? Did you always have an interest in finances and budgeting or were there a lot of conversations in the house about money? Well, growing up with with six siblings, so there's oh. so there's nine of us in the house and um, certainly everyone had to pull their weight. And it wasn't even as if there were discussions about money or um, budgeting. Uh-huh. It was more that we learned by seeing what our parents did. And uh-huh. all of us were expected to contribute in one way or another. It might have been chores. It might have been getting part-time jobs um, after school. And for me, it really was them being the role models that you never spent more than you had and you always saved for a rainy day. And so that really was imparted in in all seven of us. Um, All seven of us are, um, for the most part, very good money managers. We are all um, pretty successful in our careers. um, And we all just feel a confidence level with how our parents brought us up with respect to, to finances. Uh, starting early on, I did, you know, at 11 years old, I used to clean a home that was for um, an elderly couple. And basically, it was for a, a couple of dollars. And the, the best part of the whole thing was that she always baked me something. So it was, you know, a piece of pie and a glass of milk when I was done cleaning their house and a, and a couple of dollars in my pocket and then babysitting jobs and and then starting with my first real part-time job at Ted's in Buffalo, which was a, a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, you know, work um, after school and on weekends and saving money was always part of what I did. Do you think we've moved away from that? Because now with sports, like the our kids, right, are so involved in sports. They don't even have time to breathe. I don't even know how they get their homework done. Mm-hmm. I, so, I would I would definitely agree with that. And, yeah. and with Dave and I and raising our children, um, it was an interesting mix because he and I were both brought up the same way, always had jobs outside of, of school. And with our kids, um, they were very involved in sports, both of them um, two and three sport athletes and um, very focused on their studies as well. But they did hold down some part time jobs and. What I think they learned from that is um, how to manage their own time as well as their own money. Okay. Um, so, yes, the, the juggling act today is much different. I mean, 
back when, when I took the job at TED's, I quit the sport and I, I worked because I was saving for college. So a little bit different mm-hmm. twist on things now, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's a real challenge for parents right now because the running here and running there is even worse than, you know, 15 years ago when my kids were at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But the work ethic was instilled in you from an early age. Correct. So yeah. you just you just had it in you. And then the whole finance area, because then your career history now, you worked in government, right? Local government. Correct. And it, and it didn't really start out that way. I was a political science major at SUNY Geneseo and really had planned kind of on the, the law school track. Uh, but I had one professor uh, at Geneseo who impacted me greatly, and he um, talked with me quite a bit about going into public administration, which was mm. something I hadn't thought about. And so I spent the majority of my junior and senior year taking public administration classes, and um, that really was the field that I wanted to go into, um, and then went on for my master's in public administration. And um, it's it's different for people who decide to go into government um, for a particular reason and people who go into politics. Um, I was a person who decided to go into government because I wanted to better people's lives and I wanted to work toward a goal for the community that I worked for. And I happened to live in that community as well. So it meant even more to me. Um, So really starting uh, as an intern, I quit my full-time job to start as an intern. And that grew into a 24-year career in government. And it was wonderful. And you worked in what department? In the finance department, Finance department, yeah. And it it grew to a couple other departments on top of that. But um, it really was a tremendous experience for me and very rewarding from the standpoint of helping the residents that I worked for. Mm. That was crucially important to me. And now today you are co-owner of Tile Wholesalers with your husband. Correct. um, Who was, which was a business in his family, right? Yes. What made you move away from the government job to being a co-owner? Well, it was an interesting transition in that oftentimes what happens when you reach a high level in government is that administrations change and you are no longer with that particular Uh, organization. So I spent some time soul searching, you know, this is, this is my opportunity now. What do I want to do for the remainder of my career? Mm. So I did some consulting work for a little while and um, spent some time really thinking about what I wanted to do. And it was kind of an interesting um, transition for me because I, I had been interviewing for some positions and I suddenly was thrust into a final interview and I was kind of, um, you know, in the ladies' room and getting ready for the interview and looking around, and I was naming all of the tile around me because I had spent so much time helping my husband out. And I'm looking, I'm looking at all the product, and I, I suddenly had this incredible epiphany that I know what I want to do. Oh, wow. And it was the oddest thing because I actually went into the interview and said to the people who were interviewing me, this is going to sound really crazy, and I'm really honored that all of you are here to interview. But I just had this incredible moment revelation. In the <laughs> moment in the bathroom. 
uh, <laughs> that I really decided what I wanted to do. And that was to work with my husband, you know, every day, 24-7, be with my husband. But it it has been probably, you know, if, if someone can have two incredible passions um, career-wise and be able to really immerse themselves into that, I've been the fortunate one who has been able to do that. So what held you back though? Why in between that that point in your life where you said you were soul searching, why right. don't you just say, honey, I'm going to work with you? Well, it's it's a big decision to make the final determination that you are going to work with your spouse mm. every day and then mm-hmm. be with your spouse every night and all weekend. And it was important for us to really talk about how that would work um, and do it in the right way. Because for a lot of people that you might speak with that are spouses that own a company or work together every day, it is a balancing act. And you have to do it correctly and you have to really converse with one another um, because as we all know, in your work life on a day-to-day basis, you might get irritated with some of your coworkers or you might be upset with your boss or that type of thing. Well, when your coworker is also your spouse, you've got to be able to handle that a little bit differently. So that was kind of trying to figure out how this is going to work, what each of our roles will be, and how we can actually advance the company by me joining the company. And, And it worked out really well. You know, we we worked out the details and it has, you know, it's four years now, a little over four years now, and it's working out really well. Um, as most people know, you know, family businesses are difficult. Uh, second generation family businesses are even more difficult. And, you know, kudos to my husband. When I talk about tile wholesalers, I talk about the company that his father started, but that he has built into what it is today. And he just works so hard. And mm-hmm. I, you know, to be able to work with your husband and say how proud you are of him every day, that's, you know, yeah. that's the icing on the cake. Now, we've had a lot of people or, or several interviews, episodes where we talked about what it takes to be a business owner, because there mm-hmm. are sometimes people are like, I don't know, is this corporate world the world I belong in? Or should I experiment with um, owning a business, either owning a business or a franchise? What do you see are the big differences? What, was there a big shock to you going from that? And it wasn't really a corporate job for you, but, you know, the nine to five job to owning a business, the pros um, and cons that you see. Yeah, I was always the type of worker that never really worked nine to five to begin uh, with. So, okay. so the hours for me, um, they weren't much of a change. But I think the common misconception about um owning your own business is that you do get to uh, make your own hours and you can come and go as you please. And, you know, and that you're just so financially stable. Um, But the truth of the matter is you don't get to make your own hours when staff can't be there. You are there. You, you rarely get the opportunity to just come and go as you please, because the responsibility lies with you, not only to take care of the company for your own livelihood, but to take care of the company for the people who work for you mm. and their livelihoods. And, and you end up putting that at the forefront. Uh, but for people who are thinking about, gee, you know, I don't really like um, corporate life. The reward of owning your own business is just that. It's that 
when there are accomplishments, large or small accomplishments, they're your accomplishments. Mm. And it's advancing something that is your own. And that truly is, I mean, that makes all the difference. What are the little things about owning a business that people don't talk about because they're not as sexy to talk about? Like the the real little details, like the 401k or the health benefits, all those little things that that you could shed some light on for us. Yeah, and I I think a lot of times um, when people are embarking upon um, owning their own business is that they don't do that homework of all of the things that you do need to take care of as a business owner. Because it sounds sounds cool. Hey, I own my own business. Yeah, it sounds so glamorous, but at the same time, um, there are a lot of things that um, people take for granted, um, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Setting up retirement uh, accounts for your employees, making sure that they're invested in what the company is doing. And, and you want to do that because you want longevity with your employees. You want that level of consistency. And in order to do that, you need to provide health insurance. You need to provide retirement accounts. You need to provide flexible schedules. Um, you need to be able to, you know, let employees... Um, have some latitude and grow with the company. And when you're a small company, you would think that that would be a difficult thing. But we've been fortunate in that we've had employees that have been with us a long time and have mm. grown with the company. Uh, it's it's actually um, interesting in a way when we talk to people about the challenges uh, of owning your own company. It, it's really the challenges of owning your own company in New York State. I mean, there are a lot of things that um, regular people don't understand that um, small businesses, large businesses uh, need to do in order to follow state regulations, uh, tax guidelines, and um, a lot of different um, filing fees. And there are a whole host of things that, for us, go way beyond selling tile. Um, and they're just more the day-to-day operations, um, you know, making sure you're making enough money to get the employees paid first, turn the lights on every day, those types of things, and, and pay the taxes associated with it, taking care of your physical plant, your building. Uh, so there are a lot, of, a lot of things at play. But like I said before, the rewards of doing it most of the time far outweigh any of the challenges. Mm. Now, when you and I first met, we were talking about how hard it is to find good people. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that changed, finding good, hardworking employees? Well, with the current level, um, low level of unemployment, um, it is difficult to find good people and, and more difficult than ever before because most people are now employed. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we strive to do is we look at people who are within our industry currently mm-hmm. that might be interested in making a move. And we've been successful with um, actually um, hiring some individuals that come from within that design element, um, the you know tile or flooring or architecture or design. Uh, And we've been also very fortunate that we've um, hired some people that have no experience in the industry at all, but have embraced it and have 
grown this passion for what we do. And if we can continue to find those types of people, that would be great. One of the things, and hopefully I feel strongly that Rochester is really moving in the right direction, is keeping our younger people here in the Rochester area because Mm -hmm. employers like ourselves are looking for people just like that who um, want to be in the community, want to stay in the Rochester area and contribute to the community and that are looking for employment that they can make a career out of, that they can really enjoy and feel very invested in. So that that's the challenge of, of finding good people. And Do you notice a shift, though? And I've talked to a couple other people who are like, gosh, every time I hire somebody in their 20s, it's a struggle. Their work ethic is a struggle. Um, some people, and, you know, I got to say, in a way, it's a good shift And I've noticed it here in the building, too, where there are the younger kids who will say no and feel confident in saying, no, I don't want to do that. Whereas when I was their age, I was no didn't exist. If my manager asked me to do something, it was yes. If I didn't even know how to do it, I would figure out how to do it. Do you notice that there's some and, and, and some people will say that's the entitlement of that generation Do you notice that side of it? Is the work ethic different from the younger generation? Or do you feel like we are almost bitter by the fact that we always said yes, but this is the way it it should be? I really do think it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in some respects, the younger generation has, um, I'll characterize it as a different type of work work ethic. Mm -hmm. And you are exactly right. They um, want to have this work-life balance where for us, we were raised, if you're asked to do something, then you should do it, that type of thing. So what we've tried to do is kind of marry the two together, trying to understand that they have a work ethic different than ours, Uh but it's not necessarily bad and finding a middle ground between what our expectations are and what their expectations are. Because that group of workers who are coming up through the pipeline right now, we're not going to change the way their work ethic is. We've got to figure out the proper way in and around it so that we both have what we okay. need. Yeah. And and. Believe me, I would I would be the one to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I can't stand it, whatever. But it is that way, and we've got to find the proper way. And sometimes it boils down to actually piquing their interest in particular things in order to get that response of, oh, yeah, I'll to do that. find their passion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And see, I struggle, and I think a lot of people do. You're probably listening now thinking, okay, I want to be a good role model for my kids. I want my kids to have that work ethic. I don't want to raise entitled kids. But then we fear, like, oh, my gosh, are we raising entitled kids? I was exactly the same way. And I think one of the things, and, you know, I'll say we, we all make these mistakes as parents, and uh, my husband and I will look back on things, and we we will – focus in on the fact that one of the things that we could have done and probably should have done differently mm-hmm. was um, to not give as much. That's hard for us. Uh, yeah, right. it's yeah. so hard. Yeah. So yep. hard. Um, and I think, you know, the focus here is talking about women and finances. I think part of it 
I know for myself was I worked a lot. So when I did have time off, it was, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You know, let's go here. Let's go shopping. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I think once women can get past the feeling that, oh, okay, well, I feel bad because I'm at work and I'm mm-hmm. not at home. And I think a lot of women have. So that shows the advancement of, of women in the workforce. Uh, I think once we get past that point and realize that, you know what, the most valuable times when you are with your kids are not necessarily that you have to be going here and doing this and doing mm-hmm. that. It can be, you know, and our favorite thing was pizza on Friday night, and that was an inexpensive night, and we would just watch movies or do whatever. Um, but I think we need to focus back on the fact that everyone needs to understand how to manage their money because the the problem moving forward is that if we are raising children that don't, you know, have the understanding that I can't spend more than I make, um, we're going to have a huge problem. And the problem, the burden of it will fall, you know, on us when we're at retirement age. Or, you know, these are things that we have to really be cognizant of. And, and it's a difficult one. Yeah. And they do say, and this is a great transition, they say that more women do suffer from money guilt than men do. We'll talk about why and if you do as well. But first, Conversations Like This One is sponsored by Family First Credit Union, a helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. We are here with the owner of Tile Wholesalers, Catherine Perkins, who is now going to be your financial role model. They say that women have this money guilt, and you were kind of talking about that. When we have money for some reason, we feel like we need to share it with others before we take care of ourselves. Do you notice that too? Yes, very much so. We're, we're, we're givers, um, and that's probably one of the, the more difficult challenges that we face. I mean, I can even remember, you know, when you, you asked a little bit about growing up, I can remember, and I talk to my mother about this all the time, this blue coat that she had. And there were seven of us. And she had this blue coat, this blue winter coat, and she would wear it over and over and over Mm -hmm. again every winter. Now, we were all growing or whatever, so we needed new coats. But my mother, it wasn't important for her to have Mm -hmm. a new coat. It was important for us to have new coats or whatever else we needed. I think that kind of... Um, is the same way today. And I know with my finances, I was always um, putting money away for, Dave and I putting money away for the kids' college education Mm -hmm. or putting money away for a rainy day or putting money away for if something broke in the house. And so um, it would be secondary that... You know, we would go out and buy some big purchase that was for ourselves. Um, The focus of it, though, was that we did have things that we needed and then we had things that we wanted. So although I we would put the kids needs ahead of our own, Mm -hmm. we still would save for things that we truly wanted, like the family vacation or um, doing something just the two of us or So I think the balancing act with women and the money that you have is that, yes, 
you're going to put your kids first. That's just goes without saying. Yeah. But number two of that is determining what's important to you. You know, Mm -hmm. what are the things? Do you every once in a while want to be able to go out and buy something for yourself or or go to a show or go out with your friends for dinner? And it's all about budgeting your dollars. And the key component of that is, and I even say this to my own daughter all the time, is that your income has to surpass what your expenditures are. So part of what you need to be thinking about by is... By a lot, by, by a way, lot. Not just barely. Right. Yeah. Okay. And if you've got a month where you've got a number of bills due, well, you're, guess what? You're going to make the choices, and the choices are going to be that you're staying home or you're not doing this mm-hmm. or you're not doing that. And so important is saving for yourself. You can't help your, your children or whomever else or give to charity if you haven't saved and put yourself in a good financial position mm-hmm. currently and for the future. And I think a lot of women don't think about, you know, you mentioned the 401k or um, other savings accounts that you should have. And you should always have that. You've got to have invested in your own future in order to then be a giver and help others. Absolutely. And we would, if you had $20 in your wallet and your sister asked you, can I have $20? Chances are a woman would be like, oh, Oh, okay. It's my last 20, but yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One one of our biggest faults, but also it's a good thing. How do you run your personal budget? Do you and your husband manage it together? And what rules do you follow that maybe we can start adopting in our own budget? Uh, my my husband and I have always been very uh, much on the same page when it comes to finances. Which is good. Yes. A lot of couples struggle with that. Yeah. And um, we, we both are savers. We both, um, although we like to have... Um, time to go out together and mm-hmm. do fun things. And, um, you know, if we really want something, we will buy it. But I think the most important thing is having the proper perspective of really what you want to achieve. And um, it's interesting that sometimes that immediate gratification um, gets to people. And that becomes something that's more important than taking care of the bottom line. And um, with respect to our finances, I pay all the bills. We share access to the account and there's trust. Um, He knows that I'm getting all of the bills paid. We don't overspend. We talk about if we want to make a big expenditure uh, we talk about if there is, you know, an oh, by the way, I was downtown and you're going to see a charge for this and yeah. we communicate. Do you have that dollar amount? Sometimes couples have that dollar amount. If you spend over X number of dollars, tell me first. We've never actually had to have that. And it and it's I, I'm blessed because we. We have always communicated really You're, well. You see, idea. We have never had the conversation of "I can't believe you bought that" or "I can't believe you spent that." Not once, twenty-eight oh, years. So, I'm fortunate in that. But for people who have a different type of relationship, my advice would be: 
do exactly what you said. You know, if it's a, establish a dollar amount. Yeah. Hey, you know, if if this is the dollar amount, we should be definitely letting each other know. Or if something came up and it's got to be taken care of, you know, communication. Yeah. It's the key. But for women in general, what, whether there's a spouse in the picture or not, the key component is making sure that you're taking care of your own finances and understanding what you have, what you have now, and what you have for the future. Because I can speak to, you know, my father passed away at when I was 26 years old. My mother was only 60 years old. And it was now for her, and thankfully, they had always talked about where mm-hmm. they were financially because she had to then determine, okay, you know, I'm only 60. I've got to know what I'm going to be doing financially mm-hmm. moving forward. So I think it's important for women to understand what you have in your marriage, what you have individually, and what that means to you. One of the things uh, from a budgeting standpoint that I feel is really, really strong advice for people is you need to take what your dollar amount that you're receiving in your paycheck weekly, biweekly, monthly, okay, and you need to actually develop um, some sort of spreadsheet, and there are apps for this. There are things that you can have on your phone that will show you exactly how you should apportion your money. And part of apportioning that money is certainly the bills that have to be paid. Okay, so you take your dollar amount and you're going to pull out the portion of that dollar amount that, that are bills that have to be paid. The second thing that should be done from that dollar amount, the second thing you take out is something for savings. And some weeks, some months, it's going to be a larger dollar amount. Sometimes it's going to be a smaller dollar amount, but there should always be something that goes to savings. And one of the things that I found works the best is if you have through your employer the ability to do direct deposit, a portion of your paycheck into your checking account to pay Ah, your bills, and a portion that consistently goes Mm -hmm. into your savings account. So you don't even have it. You don't even have it. It's not at your disposal. And you just go from there. And that, it it feels like you don't have it. So you learn to spend, again, within your means of whatever's left in your paycheck after that. And we always talk about, you know, we all make our financial fumbles and mistakes. And that, I think, was one of mine where I would would try to be diligent with, like you said, okay, this amount of money is going to go into my savings, no questions asked. But then sometimes I'm like, oh, but we want to take a family vacation. Let me stop that for just a month. Next month, I'll make it up. I had a note in my phone of the months that I was supposed to make up. And at the end of the year, I looked back and I was like, oh, I never made it up. Mm-hmm. I kept pushing it to the next month. So it happens to the best of us. It happens to everybody. So that's a great idea, just having it automatically go into that savings. And one of the things that also works is, for example, if you have a, and I can speak to my college loans. So when my college loans ended, my monthly payment at the time, I actually, instead of saying, oh, I have this money now, I don't need to be paying my college loans anymore. Instead, I took that dollar amount and I then had it go into my savings account. Ah, Because it was always being paid toward a, a bill anyway. So I didn't have it as disposable income, so I just had it go into savings. Same thing you can do with your car payments are up. Instead of saying, oh, I have this you know, windfall, I'll take that car payment because it was always coming out of what I had and put it into your savings account. And 
If you do that with really all of your consistent bills that might fall off after the fact, Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be, as we get older, the end of our mortgage. You know, your mortgage ends instead of saying, oh, great, our mortgage is over. Oh, we can do this. We can do that. No, let's take all of it or a portion of it and let's put that into our retirement account or let's put that into our savings account. And you're really just living with the same dollar amount but also increasing your savings. So you just need to think about it that way. Yep. Use your, you are a bill. You are paying yourself. Yep. And you exactly. have to. What are some financial fumbles that you have made? Are there any that we can learn from that you feel comfortable sharing with us? Oh, financial fumbles. Um, Tell me you don't have any. Well, no, I probably do. I can I can remember back to when I first got out of college and uh-huh. I really did not have any money and my and my school loans would be coming due. And I can remember my father saying to me, Catherine, you should buy this used car that I found for you. And I remember saying to him, and it was an ugly car. It was I would I ugh, I would not have wanted to be seen in the okay. car, but it was very inexpensive and I could have afforded it. Uh-huh. So instead I said, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy myself a brand new car. And I want to say at the time it was like a five-year loan and, you know, it was a nice car and everything, but over what I could afford. Mm-hmm. And I remember to this day, my father would not go with me to the car, car dealership. And back in in the day, sound really old, back in the day, a woman didn't go in and buy a car because the whole, you know, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, being taken advantage. So right. my brother, one of my brothers, went with me because I said, okay, dad won't go with me because dad's mad I'm not buying the used car that he says I can afford. And my father was so right because although it was great because I had this brand new car, it was five years of these payments. So by the, and I was driving a lot of miles. So by the time I got to the, you know, the end of life of this vehicle, it was I was still making payments, you know, and I think that's one of the things that would probably be my largest thing if I could turn back the clock. Uh-huh. I should have never done that. I should have listened to my dad and just, you know, yeah, not bought such an expensive car coming out of school. So that that was definitely a fumble. And it impacted me in other manners, in other ways, because when I moved from Buffalo to Rochester to find an apartment, I already had this substantial car payment. And so when I was looking for an apartment, I had a fixed dollar amount that I could spend on rent. And if I had bought the less expensive car, I could have had a nicer place to live. So it's all trade-offs. So I learned a a lesson there. Yeah. Definitely a lesson there. See, it happens to the best of us. Yes, it does. Catherine, the VP of Tile Wholesalers, we appreciate all your insight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me in. All right. Next week, the most impactful lessons that we learned this year. It'll be the 2018 year in review. Now, if you have a suggestion, a favorite episode that you want us to include, let me know. Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. From all your feedback, we'll see which episodes make the list. Thank you, as always, for subscribing, telling a friend about the Seven Figures podcast, and dedicating your time to us every week. Have a great weekend. 
If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Seven Figures Podcast. Smart money strategies for women.